0: Hey, I'm Stephen Billings, and thanks for checking out this message today. We're so glad you're here and would love to connect with you. You can text 97,000 with the words River Connect to share any prayer requests or just to say hello. It would be so great to hear from you. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can give by texting the amount that you would like to give to 84321. You can also head to our website and click on the give tab at the top of the page as well. Thanks again for joining us and I hope you have a blessed day. Who else was blessed by that? I I know I was, right? That's awesome. Thank you guys for leading us in worship. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Isaiah chapter 9. Some of you might be sitting there going, hey, I thought uh, there are only four names in this passage. How do we have a fifth week in this book? There's a lot more in this this passage that we've been studying in Isaiah chapter 9 that I want to share with you this morning. Uh, If you've been coming for the last couple of weeks in December, you know that we've been walking through this prophecy of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9 Where it spoke of a child that would come both in the form of a king as well as a servant And we looked at his names, not his proper names, but names that describe his character We looked at names like Wonderful Counselor, right? And we looked at names like Mighty God Everlasting Father Of course, last week we looked at his name, this character that describes the person of Jesus, Prince of Peace. And all of those names, you know, it's really fascinating as you start to really take a a bigger picture of it, you see the cross in every single one of those names. Wonderful Counselor, you see Jesus being the mediator, the one who fills the gap between an unholy, unrighteous humanity, uh, human race versus a holy, righteous God, he accomplishes this mediation, this work of mediation at the cross. You see mighty God, a a picture, a character of Jesus as a warrior who comes to do battle. And you see that battle accomplished and the work of that battle accomplished again at the cross. Everlasting Father, the character of a loving caring father where a jesus's character is reflected in that love where he's willing to lay down his life for us again we see that work accomplished at the cross prince of peace we see again jesus accomplishing the work of peace the ministry of peace if you will by what he did and what he accomplished at the cross This is really neat to look at this, and today we're going to look at another aspect that is laid out here that we really have to come to grips with. It's really cool to look at all these names and these characters, or character traits of Jesus, but ultimately, we have to come to recognizing the role Jesus actually plays in our own life. And I want to read some scripture and hopefully walk you through what I mean by the role Jesus plays in our life. So let's begin again reading the text. Isaiah 9, we'll begin in verse 6. Read through all the way through 7. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The particular word that I'm going to focus on this morning is actually sandwiched, I guess the names are sandwiched between these words. The word is government. If you go back there and look at uh, verses 6 and 7, you see this, this phrase there, the government shall be upon his shoulder. And, and you also see there in verse 7, of the increase of the government, there is no end. Now listen, when we look at the word government often in our society, in our culture, we can't help but think of it in terms that we relate to. And oftentimes in our society, in our culture, that immediately turns to Politics. When we think of the word government, our minds immediately goes to politics. Just just so you know, I'm not going to preach a political message this morning. You, You can rest at ease. But that's really how we kind of interpret some of this, right? When we see this and we read the word government, we often go, this is a political thing, so for our culture, that means either Republican or Democrat. And unfortunately, that does a great disservice to this text when we read it and we think of it only in the sense of politics. That word government in the Hebrew can be translated as rule, can be translated as kingdom, dominion, or, this is the word I'm going to really focus on, authority. See, you can actually replace the word government with any one of those words. And the authority shall be upon his shoulder. Of the increase of his authority, there will be no end. So I want to walk you through this morning what it means, and I'm going to really confront you with a fairly simple question, yet complicated question. You know, as we come close to the end of the year, this is a time where often in our society we reflect. We reflect on the prior year, and we reflect on the year to come. So the question I'm going to ask you is this. Who is the authority of your life? Who is the authority of your life? Now, that's a pretty simple question. If you've been going to church for a long time, your immediate response might be, oh, oh, I know the answer, it's Jesus. But that's a much deeper question as you start to really navigate and look at what it means to place Jesus as the authority of your life. So I want to do that this morning. Let's open with a word of prayer again and just really dive in and look at what we can learn from scripture this morning heavenly father man we come before you we are excited for the new year lord we are excited to see many of the amazing things that you have already pre-planned for us to experience in this world lord we want to see you do mighty and great things not just in our own lives lord but in our community's lives in our families' lives and so lord we ultimately want to submit to you and make you king and ruler over all of our life. Lord, be with us this morning. We ask that your spirit would be present and move in our lives. Lord, remove me from the scene and just speak your words. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. One of the first things we have to really walk through as we look at this text is really try to understand what Isaiah is pointing us to. Obviously, when we look at the names, we see the person of Jesus identified in the characters of those names. But when it comes to this word government and authority, what, what is Isaiah referring to? In fact, he gives us a little bit of a clue in uh, verse 7 there when he says, of the throne or on the throne of David will be his kingdom. Right? On the throne of David. So he kind of gives us this cue of where to look for and what this authority looks like that is going to be on this child. In fact, Isaiah does a fantastic job. I think he begins in chapter 4. We won't read it. But he talks about a branch. And actually, this is another name for the person of Jesus that's articulated in other passages. One of the best ones you see is in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. It says this. We won't necessarily read the whole thing. But it says this. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. That is, of course, David's father's name, Jesse. And a branch from his root, shall bear fruit. This is speaking of some child in the lineage of Jesse, the, the that follows King David, there will be a branch that bears much fruit. And listen to this as we walk through verse 2 and he says, "In the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might." You start to see some of the characters that were earlier addressed in the names given to Jesus. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But he will judge with righteousness, he will judge the poor. He will decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Verse 5, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. You see, we see these character traits again addressed to this king, this ruler, the one who is in authority that he has. He has this aspect of righteousness that he rules by. In fact, we see this even in, in verse 7 there where he says he, the way he will uphold this kingdom is with justice and righteousness. Righteousness. This is the character that is reflected in the authority of Jesus. Jeremiah, another prophet, speaks of this very branch that Isaiah referenced in chapter 11 and chapter 4 of Isaiah. But in, in Jeremiah chapter 23, it says this Another prophet, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Again, there's the character. He's a righteous leader, a righteous authority. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute, here it is, justice and righteousness. We see those character traits closely associated with the righteous authority of the child that Isaiah and both Jeremiah speak of verse 6 in this day Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely and this is the name by which he will be called the Lord is our righteousness you see one of the things we have to come to grips with when we really are honest with ourselves when it comes to this question of authority listen we're i'm no different than you when we don't like to be told what to do when to do it or how to do it can we just be real Right? That's the truth. No one likes to be told what to do, when to do it, or how to do it. So authority, by nature, for us, is something that we all struggle with. We do not like it. Authority is something when we hear in our heads, oftentimes something very negative in our lives. We go, oh man. And our response in that mechanism to when we hear authority over our life is generally that of a negative mindset. But when we really look at what is being articulated in the scripture, authority here is not a negative thing. It is what we claim we want. Justice, equity, and righteousness. And here we see these character traits laid out for the person of Jesus, and no one better, no one better fits this mold of a righteous authority in our life than the person of Jesus. Let me share some stories in the gospel. That reflect this. I want to start in Luke chapter 7. Let me give you the pretext of this story. There is a man who is of authority. He's a centurion. This man has at his realm to command soldiers, and and he has, I'm sure, people that work in his home, or he has businesses, and he commands them to do many different things. Well, one of the the servants in his home became very sick. This man of authority recognized and heard about the work of Jesus in his ministry. And I want you to see what he recognizes as far as it goes as the authority of Jesus. I want you to see what he recognizes in Jesus with this. And I want to share some verses in that. So uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 7 says this, Therefore, I do not presume to come to you, but say the word, he's speaking to Jesus, and let my servant be healed. The centurion had sent some of his Uh, elders in his home to go find jesus and ask jesus to come and before jesus made it to the centurion's home the centurion actually meets jesus and he goes oh man jesus i did not assume that you were going to come to my home just say the word and it'll be done and listen to what he says this is his recognition of jesus's authority he says for i too am a man set under authority which means he has authority I have soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to the another, I say, come, and he comes. And to my servant, I say, do this, and he does it. You see, what he's saying is, Jesus, I recognize your authority, that if you just say the very words, it'll be done. Jesus hears that this man has this much confidence in his authority over the sick, over the physical, that Jesus is actually astonished. The very next verses say, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. He was shocked. He was blown away that there's this man, this centurion man, that recognizes his authority over the sick, over the physical. And Jesus tells the crowd that's following him, and he says these words, I tell you, not even Israel, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Of course, they go back, and they find that the servant is healed. Jesus didn't show up. He had the authority to just say the words, and it was done. See, this is an understanding that we've got to come to when we ask that question, hey, is Jesus in authority? Is God in authority of my life? And you go, yeah, that's a really easy answer. Yes, Jesus is. Do we believe the words that he says, and do we put that same amount of weight in his words where we say, hey, if he said it, so be it. Another story that is laid out for us in the gospel is in Mark chapter 1. This is Jesus, again, he's teaching. He goes into a, a Capernaum as a city. And immediately upon the Sabbath, he enters into the synagogue. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 21. He entered into the synagogue and was teaching. And the people's reaction to his teaching, they were astonished at his teaching, it says. For he taught them as one who had authority. He didn't teach as one of the scribes. He taught as one who had authority. Who had the right, in essence, to teach. Who had the understanding and the wisdom and the knowledge to understand how to teach with authority. That is, with righteousness, with justice and equity. As you continue in the story, you see something absolutely amazing transpire. Immediately as they are recognizing his authority, a man who has an unclean spirit walks in. And listen to what the unclean spirit says to Jesus. This is so profound. You see, not only did the people recognize his authority, not only did the Roman centurion recognize his authority, but we're going to see here that even the demons recognized his authority. And it says this, And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, verse 24, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. You see, even the demons recognized the authority of Jesus and that if he desired in that moment, he said, hey, you're done with, you're destroyed, you're gone. They recognized, they knew, they understood that Jesus had that authority. There's an interesting phrase here, in fact, that connects us back to the book of Isaiah when the demons say that you are the Holy One of God. This is so fascinating. If you read through the book of Isaiah, you will see the Holy One of Israel referenced 31 times in the book of isaiah here the demons are actually quoting scripture if you will recognizing that jesus is the very person spoken of in isaiah calling him the holy one of god in isaiah he is referenced as the holy one of israel 31 times the demons recognized who had the authority whose shoulders it was that the government would rest on and whose authority would grow and increase without end. They understood. In this passage, it continues in Mark chapter 1. He continues, and Jesus obviously rebukes. He sends the demon away. Verse 27, the people, when they see this, they're so shocked. They were shocked before at just his teaching. Now they see Jesus cast this demon out of this man. And their response is this. Verse 27, and they were all amazed... So that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? Is this a new teaching with authority? You see, what's amazing here is these people missed something. It wasn't the fact that there was a new teaching. That wasn't what gave it more authority, was that, hey, there's this new thing that we haven't had before. No, it's in the book of Isaiah. It's all through the Old Testament. It's about the person of Jesus. What changed was the person who spoke the words gave it the authority. It wasn't like this was some new teaching. No, Jesus was there. He was the one that was the catalyst, if you will, that brought the change of authority. These people recognized that Jesus had something that nobody else had. You can continue and read in Matthew 21 another story in the Gospels of Jesus' authority being questioned. By the religious leaders, verse 23. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching, and they said to him, Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? You see, what's fascinating, again, we have a people who understand what authority is. These are a people of religious stature. The high priests, the Pharisees, the scribes, and they are in a position of authority by all rights. And so they see this man who comes in here. They didn't go through their educational system, maybe, not necessarily. They see him teaching, they doing miraculous things like we just witnessed. And they're confused. They're like, Jesus, who gave you this right? Who gave you this authority? Who gave you this power? Jesus answers this question indirectly. As he continues, it's kind of funny how he responds to them. These men who should know the answer to the question, Jesus responds in this way, verse 24. He says, Jesus answered them, I also will ask you a question. He's going to answer them through a question. If you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. And here's the question. The baptism of John, John the baptizer, from where did it come? Was it from heaven, or was it from man? And they discussed it among themselves, and they start to engage in this conversation, this debate within their heart, if you will. See, Jesus answers the question where he gets his authority from, but he puts the people in And really, this is the question that we need to be confronted with. is like, like they they know the answer, but they don't want to say it. Because it puts them in a particular awkward position. You see, Jesus asks them about John the baptizer. When he was in the wilderness preaching. Preaching the gospel. Preaching repentance. His baptism was a baptism of repentance. And you see these religious leaders... Struggle with the fundamental fact of where Jesus' authority came from. Let's continue and read in this passage. He says this. If we say that John the Baptist or John the Baptizer received his uh, authority or where he came from was from heaven, the response that will come to us is why then didn't we believe in him? But if we say to him, man, it came from man, the response is they were afraid of what the people, the crowd, would say to them. Because you see, these religious leaders were nothing but man-pleasers. They were afraid of the crowd, for they hold that John was a prophet. And so they took the easy way out. They answered, we don't know. I I believe they knew, they just didn't want to say. We don't know. And so Jesus I love that Jesus uses sarcasm. Well, then I'm not going to tell you where I get my authority from. (laughs) It's great. Jesus Jesus has a sense of humor. But that's a question we need to be confronted with, right? Hey, are we recognizing that the authority of Jesus, what was written 700 years before Jesus even walked on the earth, was prophesied about him having this kind of authority? And so when we are confronted with this question, hey, did Jesus' authority come from God, from heaven, or did it come from man? Did man just prop Jesus up? Man, he's a nice guy. He's a prophet. He spoke really nice things. Or is he somebody that comes into our life, into our world, with the authority of heaven? We really need to deal with that. We have to come to full grips. We want to talk about him being a wonderful counselor. That's great. We want to talk about him being a mighty God. That's awesome. I love that story because it's him of being a warrior. We love the story of him being our father and bringing us peace. But do we let him be the authority in our life and do we recognize that authority comes from God? These are the same questions the religious leaders had to have and be confronted with. Further in another gospel, in the gospel of John, when Jesus is about to go to the cross, In another way, he answers the questions of the Pharisees in John chapter 17. As he's praying and he's calling out to the Father, he says these words. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. This is just before he's about to go to the cross. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh. You see, Jesus himself acknowledged that his authority came from the Father, came from heaven to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and that they would know Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Matthew 28, and over the next several weeks in January, we're going to walk through the Great Commission carried out through the book of Philippians. But in that phrase of the Great Commission, there's a passage that really helps us really come to grips, the hard part of the question, who is actually in authority of our life? In Matthew 28, it says this, the very first verse, and Jesus came and he's talking to his disciples and he said to them, and I want you to pay particular attention to this word, it's not in there by accident, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You notice it doesn't say some authority you know it doesn't say this portion of authority it says all authority and so the question is when we ask that question hey is Jesus are you willing to make Jesus have authority in your life the easy response might be yeah yeah I'll give him authority but oftentimes those come with a little bit of conditions strings attached if you will Not all authority. I'll give you Sunday, Jesus. God, you can have my Sunday. I'll give you that. I'll I'll submit that to you. But listen, my Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I need those. Those are mine. You don't get those. We might might say things like this. God, I, I will give you my family full authority. But when I go to work, I'm my own boss. It's not all. See, this is the condition to relenting the authority and submitting to his authority he doesn't say hey i want just 25 percent." jesus even talked about this we can't have two bosses we can't have two points of authority in our life you can't serve god and money is the text that i'm referencing he says you got to give it all to me i got to be the the authority in all of your life this 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 question goes even deeper, and it gets more more harder to answer. Yeah, the church, it might be easy for us to say to that question, hey, who do you give authority in your life to? Yeah, Jesus, for sure. Is it all authority? Do you let God have the authority of your thoughts, the condition of your heart? Does he have control and authority in your life over the things you think about, the things you dwell on in your heart? That becomes a little bit harder to answer, doesn't it? Listen, this isn't just, I'm not trying to be. this is true for even me, right? I have to recognize this as we're, we're walking through the new years. I have to come to terms and reflect, hey, did I submit to full in, in every aspect of my life? Did I give all of it to God? Did I let him rule in every part of my life over the Am I going to let him live and rule? And am I going to submit to his authority in 2024? Am I going to take a hold of a cu- couple of things and say, God, you can have everything else but this. This is mine. That's tough. It becomes a little bit more serious of a question. Not so easy. Because then there's this examination that has to happen in our hearts and we've got to go, man, what part of my life am I hanging on to that I'm not willing to submit to the authority of God? What part of my life am I saying, hey, God, you can have everything else, but this is mine. You can't have this. I'm going to rule and reign in this part of my life. It becomes a lot harder question to answer, doesn't it? Isaiah, if you go back to the book of Isaiah, he gives us some warnings. See, the opposite of submission, if we submit to the authority of God, we submit to the, the governance, the rule of God in our life, The opposite of that is exactly what the people of Israel were going through. It's what we would call rebellion. If you're a parent, maybe you have had a rebellious kid. I have been very blessed that I do not have rebellious kids. But I can tell you this. I was a rebellious kid. Right? So I I know a thing or two about rebellion. Really, I won't go any further. (laughs) I know a thing or two about it. Let's just leave it at that, right? But there's a warning that Isaiah gives us when it comes to this heart of rebellion that we all have to fight. We all have to wrestle with. In Isaiah chapter 30, we read this earlier in the sermon series that we've walked through. Isaiah chapter 30 is an absolutely staggering passage where Isaiah warns the people of their rebellious heart. I'm just going to read from verse 12. It says, "Therefore, thus says here it is the Holy One of Israel," the reference again to what the, the demons recognized in the authority of Jesus. Because you despise the word and you trust in oppression and perverseness, and you rely on them. See, that's the opposite of justice and righteousness, is oppression and perversion. See, when you, when you rely on things that are not right, that are not true, that are not equal, that are not justice, you are in essence relying on oppression and perversion. This is the warning that is coming from the book of Isaiah. He says this as he continues, Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you like a breach in a high wall, bulging out and about to collapse, whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant. And its breaking is like that of a potter's vessel that it smashes so ruthlessly that among its fragments not a shard is found with which to take fire from the hearth or to dip up water out of the cistern. Isaiah is using this illustration of a a wall. And when we consider a wall, we see that as a sense of protection, a guard, a shelter, a place of rest, a place of comfort. What he's saying is, man, and I've been in the construction trade to know that when you see a wall that is not stable, whether that's made of wood or concrete, ain't nobody walking around it. Because you never know when it's coming down. When you have a wall that is not secure and that is not safe to be around, nobody's getting shelter, nobody's getting comfort. There's no security in it here is the example of those who put their trust in things other than the authority of Jesus in their life. As he continues in this passage in verse 15, again we see this, for thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel. And you see the heart of God to a people who are rebellious. He says, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. You see the heart of God. This is always the heart of God. We see this laid out from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. His heart, when we deal with that word authority, isn't to sit there and crush you and beat you down and say, oh, you screwed up. No, his, his, his heart is this, that, hey, come back to me. Know me. Put me in my proper place so you can have that rest, so you can have that comfort, so you can have that security. So you can have that peace. So you can have the wonderful counsel of God. So you can have a mighty God who defends you. So you can experience the love of a father and you can have the prince of peace in your life. Put me in my proper place as one who has authority in your life. He continues here and you really start to see the heart of rebellion, which is sad in the next verses. Though the heart of God is that you would return... You would be able to experience this rest, this quietness, this salvation. He says, but you were unwilling. And you said, no. You said, no. Nope. God, no way. I'm not putting, I'm not putting you in that place of authority in my life. Nope. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to make my decisions, my way. I'm not going to go to you. I'm going to take control of this. Listen, I don't know what things you struggled with in 2023 and I don't know what things you're going to struggle with in 2024. You may be walking through financial things. You may be walking through relational things. You may be walking through health things. I don't know. I can tell you this. There's one person. Who has the authority to lead you, to guide you, to instruct you, to give you counsel, to give you wisdom? And he leads and guides with righteousness, with justice, and with equity. I just want to share a couple verses. Again, in the New Testament, I'm going to be in 1 John. See, we have an advocate. We have a mighty God. We have an everlasting, loving Father. We have a Prince of Peace. And in 1 John it says this, If we say we have no sin, we have deceived ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, this is how amazing the love and the character of God is. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. The very next verse, it says this, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. We have a wonderful counselor. We have a mighty God. We have an everlasting father and a prince of peace. We have an advocate with the Father. And his name is given to us, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Again, we see aspects of the way he rules, why his position of authority should be in our life. He is the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation, though it's a big word, just simply means he is the substitute. He's the one that bridges the gap. He steps in the middle. He goes and does the battle for us. Not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, and I want you to pay particular attention to this. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. If we put him in the proper position of authority in our life. If we keep his commandments, we make him the one who rules and reigns in our life, in our hearts in our minds, not just some of the places in our life, not just some of the ways we do things, but in all of the ways we do things. In all of the ways we think. We put Him as the one who has the proper authority. This morning as we get ready to take communion, I'm going to ask the band to come up and if you've been asked to distribute the, the communion, I'm going to go ahead and get ready for that. I want to take some time The band's going to lead us in a song. They're going to sing. The the gentlemen are going to pass the communion cup and its bread. But I really want you to consider, this is a time of reflection. You know, we're coming to an end of the year. There are some questions we need to come to grips with in our life. Am I going to let God be the authority in my life? Am I going to let God be the authority in all of my life? It's not such an easy question when you examine maybe some of the anxieties or the the things you're struggling with in life maybe some of the areas that you've taken a hold of and said god this is too big for you you can't handle it i just want you to take a moment this morning as we remember the cross as we remember the work of jesus what he did for us knowing that he came with full authority not made by men but made by god that we would reflect on the year 2023. We would look forward to the year 2024 and we say, God, I want you to be in complete authority of my life in every aspect. Work in my heart, Lord, and know the areas where I have hung on to and not given up to you. Confess those things. Deal with the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul tells us, verse 28, I'll just read verse 28. He says, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and take of the cup. This morning, as the band is playing a song, do that. As you get the cup, we'll partake together. But take this time to really reflect in your heart, reflect in your life. Hey, am I going to let Jesus? Am I going to let God be the authority in my life? Go ahead, Nate.